0: Church. Well, today we will continue our series on the New Testament book of First Corinthians. Since the month of February, we have been examining the first seven chapters of 1 Corinthians, and today we will be examining the highlights of chapter eight, which was part of our morning scripture. I can tell you that when I read this chapter initially, this would not be on my top 10 list of messages to present to you today. However, it does touch on the theme of togetherness and liberty and challenges our concerns for others that the Apostle Paul discusses through the first book of Corinthians. One of the challenges that we as Christians face is the issue of liberty, which I will attempt to explain to you this morning in the message that I'm titling, Food Offered to Idols. Now, it was unusual today, because when some of you knew that I was preaching, nobody came up and asked me what kind of props I was gonna use today. But since I'm usually bringing props, I had to go to my freezer and my cooler and get out some things that would be what we will be talking about today. So I have some hamburger. I had some chicken, some wild game. Of course, that was probably uh, something that we uh, got this fall. Uh, I did also bring some pizza, but the Corinthians probably didn't handle that too well. And then the last item I brought from today was something that the good Jewish people wouldn't have, was pork chops. So, We're going to talk about that a little bit today. We're going to be talking about food offered to idols. And I can honestly say, when Pastor Mark told me he was going on vacation, and that I was going to be doing the service today, I quickly found out what week we were going to be doing in Corinthians, which was chapter 8 because if we were doing chapter six or seven in the last two weeks when we were talking about sex, my props would have been really bad, okay? So so that would not have been good, so I just tell you that. So as background information, to help us understand what was happening in Corinth, both Jews and Gentiles were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, which is a great thing. Now Gentiles were Greeks and Romans who came to faith in Jesus, but they came out of a pagan or idol-worshiping background. In other words, prior to their conversion to Christ, they worshiped many gods. They believed that evil spirits would try to invade human beings by attaching themselves to meat or food before it was eaten, and that the spirits could be removed only by the food being sacrificed to a god. The sacrifice was meant to gain favor with their gods and cleanse the meat from demonic contamination. Now the meat offered to the gods was divided into three parts. One simply was burned on the altar as a sacrifice. A second part was given to the priest who would either eat the meat or sell it at the meat market. And finally a third part was eaten by the worshiper, usually in a temple precinct, which is a fancy word for a restaurant. And these pagan temple restaurants had not only social but religious significance since it was thought that the gods were present since the meal were held in their honor and the sacrifices had been made. So it was in this environment that the Apostle Paul responded to food offered to idols. Now Paul teaches Christians how to exercise their Christian liberty. He sets forth the principle that in areas not forbidden in Scripture, Christians should consider how their actions affect others. Paul responds to three reasons the Christians in Corinth gave for feeling free to act as they pleased regarding the areas not specifically forbidden by Scripture. And Paul agrees that each of these reasons are basically valid, but then shows that none of these reasons should be used to cause others to fall spiritually. And so the three things that we're going to talk about that Paul also addressed in chapter 8 is we all have knowledge, an idol is nothing, and that food is not an issue with God. Now, we know that we all have knowledge. Some Christians from pagan backgrounds were once again going back and eating at pagan temple restaurants. But they now understood that meat was just meat. They knew that the pagan gods were false gods. They knew that God was the only true God. They knew they possessed knowledge of food and false gods and the true God. They knew that none of this was relevant anymore. But they had a serious deficiency, and Paul mentions this in the last part of verse one. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The Corinthians had knowledge, but not love. They had doctrine, but they did not understand the necessity of love, a love that builds up. And Paul will talk about that when we get to chapter 13 in our study. Now, knowledge of God's Word is extremely important. It is impossible for Christians to grow and obey God if they do not know God's Word. A mature Christian will be strong in two areas, knowledge and love. He will be mature theologically and relationally. He has a growing understanding of Bible doctrine And at the same time, he has a growing ability to relate those doctrines to himself and to others through love. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 15, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. Now, in our morning scripture in verses 2 and 3, Paul says... The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know all he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. This has two important meanings. True knowledge does not know and knows that it does not know. And second, it is impossible to know God and not love him. Loving God is not only... The great and first commandment, as outlined in Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38, is also the clearest evidence of our relationship to Him. 1 John 4, verse 19 says, We loved because He first loved us. Without love for God, we have no right knowledge of Him, because we will not have a right relationship. To him so knowledge is important but it's not enough for the Christian we must have knowledge plus love Philippians 2 verse 4 says each of you should look not only to your own interests but also to the interest of others when we follow these words we are on the road to becoming mature Christians. Now the second thing that Paul says is an idol is nothing. We all know that an idol is nothing. Paul agrees that some of the Corinthian Christians had good knowledge, but he shifts his thoughts in verses four through six in our morning scripture, which reads as follows. So then, about eating, food, sacrifice to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there were so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. There is only one true and living God. We all know this. That is the God of the Bible, who identified himself as Jehovah. We all know and live this statement today. As part of Article 4, on faith in our own church's constitution, it reads this. We believe in one God, creator of all things, infinitely perfect, and eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know this, and apparently, Some of the Corinthians knew this, but not all. Because Paul mentions in verse seven in our morning scripture, but not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. Paul's point is that we know that an idol is nothing. We know that there is only one true and living God. We know we have freedom to eat any food because food itself is not contaminated if it is offered to an idol. Paul said, therefore, if a weaker or less mature believer, misunderstood their actions, they should, out of consideration, avoid eating meat offered to idols. And finally, food is not an issue with God. In verse eight of our morning scripture, Paul says, "'But food does not bring us near to God, We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. The point is that doing things not forbidden by God has no significance in our relationship to him. They are what we would call spiritually neutral, and food is an excellent example of this. Common sense and a concern for our body's health should make us Course, careful about what we eat, but food itself is in no way evil. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 7 verse 15, nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. Nevertheless, what would be wrong is when eating becomes a stumbling block to others. In verse 9 and 10, Paul gives us kind of a warning. He says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? In other words, some Corinthian Christians ate in these pagan temple restaurants with the understanding that eating such food was fine. But still other Christians who were new to the faith, who were, who were less mature and did not were not properly taught might think that It is okay to eat food they believed were sacrificed to idols, and thus had some magical or mystical or or power or influence. So Paul continues on by giving a warning in verse 11. He says, so this weaker brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Paul's point is that Christians are called to live in a community with one another. We do not put our faith in Jesus Christ and then go on living by ourselves without any relationship to others in the body of Christ. That is why it is so important for all Christians to be in some kind of group setting where the Bible is discussed and taught. It might be a home or community group. We have some of those going here at our church. It might be an adult Bible class that's held after this service that that Rick or myself teach. It might be at a lunch bunch gathering where Christian topics are taught. It might be a a special men's or women's Bible study maybe here at church or in your home or even with your neighbors. It might be on a special topical study that we've done here at church before. We've done, we've done classes on marriage and on finances and other topics. For our youth, it might be going to a connection class where they study the Bible. But Christians grow best in community environments. We're called to love one another and limit our exercise of our Christian liberty for the sake of others, which is not always easy. Ultimately, we not only sin against our brothers and sisters when we do not love them, we sin against Christ. In verse 12 today, Paul says, when you sin against your brother in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. One of my favorite uh, Christian authors and, and pastors, John MacArthur said this concerning that topic. He said, we should be eager to limit our liberty at any time and to any degree in order to help a fellow believer, a brother or sister whom we love and a precious soul for whom Christ died. And Paul kind of wraps up and concludes this principle in the last verse of today's scripture. Anytime you see the word therefore, there's something big coming after it. And he says in verse 13, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I would never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. His point is that we should we would not do anything to cause a brother or sister to stumble. Likewise, when we love others, our freedom should be less important to us and should be more focused on strengthening the faith of a brother or sister. So how do we do this in year 2022? How should we be exercising our our Christian liberty. How do we make decisions about what to do or what not to do? Followers of Jesus today, just like in Paul's day, have their own ideas on what activities are acceptable and which are unacceptable for even followers of Jesus. Some churches frown or condemn certain activities. And I made up a short list here of things in my own lifetime that I've heard people say as I've grown up from a young boy all the way to an adult about certain activities that Christians should be or should not be doing. Playing card games, dancing, attending a movie, Allowing children to trick-or-treat. Getting tattoos. Drinking alcohol. Using tobacco products. Now, maybe you are here as a follower of Jesus and believe the things that I just mentioned should not be done. But on the other hand, maybe you're here and saying, I don't think any of those activities are a problem. In fact, in the society we live in today, anything goes more than when I was a a young boy. Our society has become completely lenient on many of these activities and other activities that I didn't mention. How do we decide what is important as we interact with other Christians? How do we do this in the spirit of of liberty and and this theme of togetherness that we're trying to accomplish in the study in 1 Corinthians? Well, I wanna close and suggest a checklist that I read that John MacArthur had provided on deciding on whether or not to participate in any behavior that might be doubtful or questionable. And this list is rather easy to remember because all the words start with the letter E. So I'm going to list some points that he mentions. The first is excess. Is the activity or the habit necessary? Or is it merely an extra that is not really important? Is it perhaps only an encumbrance that we should willingly give up? The Bible says in Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Excess. Second one is expediency. Is what I want to do helpful and useful or only desirable? 1 Corinthians 6.12, which we had a few weeks back, it said, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Expediency. Emulation is the third E. If we are doing what Christ would do, Our actions not only is permissible, but good and right. First John two, verse six says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. Fourth one is one of my favorite ones, it's example. Are we setting the right example for others, especially for weaker brothers and sisters? That would be less mature Christians. If we emulate Christ, others will be able to emulate or follow us in our example. This is one of my favorite scriptures. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12b, it says, Set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and purity. We are to be setting the example. Number five is also a good one, evangelism. Some people say, well, I don't want to be involved in that. But it says here, is my testimony going to be helped or hindered? Will unbelievers be drawn to Christ or turned away from him by what I am doing? And we all talk and we all have actions. So unbelievers are looking at you, even if you're trying not to give them their testimony, they're looking at you as your living testimony. Colossians 4, 5 says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. We all run into outsiders every day, whether it's the store, wherever, out in society. It says, make the most of every opportunity. And the last one is exaltation. Will the Lord be lifted up and glorified in what I do? God's glory and exaltation should be the supreme purpose behind everything we do. And I like the verse that's picked out for this because it kind of ties in with our theme this morning. It's it's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have Christian liberty. But Father, help us to know that some people are not as strong or mature in their faith as as we might be. Help us to be able to love others and be able to set aside some of the things that we would like to do for the benefit of others so that their faith will continue to grow. Help us to be a great example and that you get all the glory and the praise, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our worship team will be coming up for the final song. I think the words will be on the screen, so please stand.